Open your Bibles, if you would, to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. And as you're turning there, I have a question for you. Have you ever approached Jesus in a lame manner? A lame prayer, a lame excuse, a lame complaint. Jesus was teaching to a huge crowd of people outdoors when some random guy came up to him and interrupted. It's like the kindergarten teacher is teaching the alphabet and some kid blurts out about the litter of kittens that were born at his house. Luke chapter 12, follow along from verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter over you? Then he said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Jesus refused to become embroiled in this family squabble. But now that everybody is distracted by the interruption, Jesus, the master teacher, uses this as a teachable moment. He issues a warning about greed. And it's a stern one. It's emphatic, isn't it? Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. Greed comes at us unexpectedly. Greed comes at us secretly. It can easily catch us unaware. It has many guises, many forms. And Jesus says, you've got to be on your guard. You have to be alert. You have to be aware. Greed is an ardent desire for the things of the world, an undue affection for and attachment to Riches, material possessions, pleasures, and comforts. Now, I mean no disrespect, but I suspect that many of us here today are kind of saying in the back of our minds, that's not really my problem. I've got some problems, but... That's not really one of them. Please bear with me here. Jesus says, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. He's being emphatic. This is a universal problem. 
And certainly in the 21st century, in the richest, most prosperous nation in the world, even though we are going through difficult times, this could be a problem that we might face. Do you think that this guy who interrupted Jesus would have thought of himself as greedy? Almost certainly not. He didn't say to Jesus, Jesus, tell my brother to give to me the inheritance. He wasn't seeking the whole pie. He just wanted his slice. He wasn't trying to defraud his brother. He just wanted a guarantee that he himself was not defrauded. Fair is fair. Right? Truth be told, we don't think that greed is all that bad, but God believes it is terrible. Now, it's not that we condone greed, it's not that we want to be greedy or we seek to be greedy, but I would suggest that. We tend to view, view greed as a kind of uh, minor, socially unacceptable character flaw. If our toddler snatches a toy away from a child in the nursery, we'll rush in to try to correct her and teach her, but we're not aghast. All toddlers are greedy. If some guy pushes his way to the front of the line at the church or family picnic, we kind of just roll our eyes that the big lug never learned how to share and take his turn. We're not shocked. We're not blown away. We we wouldn't compare him to a, a murderer or a rapist or a thief, (laughs) but God would. I want you to think for a moment about the Ten Commandments. Unless you are thinking that I am lost in preacher's hyperbole, now what do we got in the Ten Commandments? I got idolatry, blasphemy, murder, adultery, stealing, lying. What's that last one? Covetousness. Greed made God's top 10 list of no-nos. It's right there with the rest of them. Now, if we think about that, then we're not surprised at all that Jesus levels a very serious warning to that ancient crowd and to us today. Seated in church, be on guard. Look out for greed. Not in others, in ourselves. Then also in verse 15. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his 
possessions. I want you to stop and think about it because I don't think there's a person here who would say, well, I'm shocked. I thought my life consisted of my possessions. No, we don't think that way. And we have a lot of sayings to remind us of of that. Uh, One, you know, if you've got your health, you've got just about everything. Family, that's what's really important. But what if you lost it all? What if you lost everything and you didn't have insurance? Paul Harvey was a a newscaster of another generation, but I grew up listening to him on the radio, and uh, one of the features that he had really stuck in my mind, there was a family... I can't remember if they were from Australia or New Zealand, but they sold everything that they had. And they purchased an ocean-going boat. We might call it a, a yacht, something like this one. And they took their small son and they boarded this boat and they were gonna travel around the world fulfilling their dream. Sounds exciting. And scary. And sure enough, they got caught in a bad storm and their boat swamped and it went down. And the three of them were able to scramble into a life raft. And I can't remember how long they were adrift. But finally, they were found and rescued and they were brought ashore, and Paul Harvey said they were standing on the dock, and some reporter stuck a microphone into the woman's face, and she said, we lost everything, everything. Don't you think that Jesus would say to her, you lost nothing? You survived? The three of you were alive. They didn't even have to be rushed to the hospital. They were able to stand on that dock for a few moments and be interviewed. And Jesus might go on to say, and not only that, the things that really matter, the things that are eternal, the things that please and honor God were untouched by your shipwreck. Returning to Luke chapter 12, we discover that Jesus isn't finished. I suspect he knows that we need more convincing. And so he tells a story. Verse 16, and he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself saying, What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, 
This very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Jesus' parables are fascinating. I mean, you can spend the longest time just thinking about the implications and why did he say this and, and not that and why is he emphasizing this and what exactly is the point he is getting across? And I want you to notice that the man described is not a scoundrel or a cheat or a thief. He did not take advantage of his employees. He didn't manipulate the grain market. He wasn't involved in insider trading. He defrauded no one. He was already rich, and then he had a bumper crop. I don't know about you, but that sounds like the American success story. It sounds to me like his face might appear on the cover of Money magazine. It sounds to me like if we knew the guy, we would casually drop his name to our friends and talk about his good fortune. But God calls the guy a fool. He was in the midst of a massive building project on his farm, prompted by bumper crops. His smaller barns were being dismantled, even as foundations were being laid for much larger barns to store all these crops. And one morning, his wife woke up and reached over on the other side of the bed, and it was undisturbed. She put on a robe and her slippers, she padded downstairs, went into the kitchen, he wasn't in there preparing coffee, went into the living room, he wasn't in there reading the newspaper, went into his office, and there he was, slumped over his desk, covered with those architectural plans for barns. He was stone-cold graveyard dead. There are no pockets in a shroud. There are no drawers in a coffin. You don't see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. You can't take it with you. And we know that, but does it really seep into our attitude towards stuff? Is that a church thing that we forget about when we go to work, when we go to the store, when we're dealing with everyday life? The rich guy lived as though his life consisted of stuff. And there's a grave danger that you and I are doing the same. That our stuff, our material possession, mean far 
more to us than they should. And so Jesus issues us this warning. He has a summation. Verse 21, so is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So now Jesus broadens it. It's not just a curious story about an ancient man. It's anybody. And he gives us the antidote. We need to be rich toward God. The Bible does not condemn wealth or wealthy people. Did you know that? Many of the prominent people, particularly in the Old Testament, were very wealthy. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's not the wealth, it's not the stuff, it's our attitude, it's the way we view it, it's the way we treat it. This guy is a fool because he amassed all of this worldly wealth but gave little thought to eternity. And once his candle was snuffed out, his wealth all went to someone else. Now, uh, take this back to the guy who interrupted Jesus. He came to talk about uh, dispute over family inheritance. And so Jesus tells a story about a guy who amassed a huge fortune and then he drops dead and leaves it all to others. Jesus refused to be the judge of that guy's family squabble. And so he tells a story about a wealthy man who dies and is about to stand before the judge empty-handed. In the movie The Castaway, Tom Hanks played a FedEx employee He's on a flight and his plane goes down and he is the sole survivor and he crawls up onto a beach of a desert island. After a short time, FedEx boxes from that flight begin to wash up on the shore and it's fascinating to watch him open those boxes. He opens one and he finds a deflated soccer ball. He opens another and it's a pair of ice skates. I want you to imagine that he opened a box and it was filled with $100 bills neatly banded together. They would have been as worthless to him as those ice skates. I'm sure that Tom Hanks would rather have opened a box of granola bars. One of those beef logs, that would have been great. A tarp to protect him from the sun would have been a godsend. So it's a picture, a reminder that changed the context and all of the valued possessions of this world lose their value. When Tom Hanks crawled up onto that beach, he discovered that all the price tags of his world 
were changed. A gold watch, useless. And so it is with us. The economy of earth and the economy of heaven are as different as the economy of the United States of America and a desert island. And you and I as believers in Jesus Christ need to understand that. We need to hold those possessions loosely. I'm not telling you to go live on a desert island or a, a tent in the backyard of your parents' home. I'm not telling you to get rid of all your possessions, although I tell you the struggle is so great, I've often thought that might just be the way to go. Because greed and the allure of possessions is so insidious. That's why Jesus says, We've got to be on our guard against it. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The Apostle Paul, so far as we know, was not there to hear that Sermon on the Mount, but he heard about it, and he learned the lesson well. And he wrote to one of his young disciples, Timothy, these words. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good to be rich in good works, and to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure for a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. This is not life indeed. I suppose there are many ways that we can view our earthly existence but it is not life indeed. And we are to live now in preparation for eternity. All earthly treasure will be left behind. Uh, You've probably seen the show American Pickers for a while. Uh, Karen and I were watching that on TV. Uh, It's about two guys who travel around the country buying junk. People have been collecting it for years and years and years. And the interesting thing is that many of them have never sold a thing. They've only purchased or acquired or picked up at the dump. And now, in many instances, they are selling because they're in their 70s or in their 80s. They realize they can't take it with them and their families don't want to fool with it. 
often you'll hear a guy say, my wife says I got to sell it. My kids don't want to fool with it. Gives you a good perspective on stuff. And so Jesus says to us, beware. Be on your guard against every form of greed. Greed is spiritual cancer undermining our growth and service for Jesus Christ if we are not very careful. So we need to ask ourselves, do we use our our money, our homes, our automobiles, our possessions for the glory of God? Because if we get all the stuff we desire but fail to live for God, we've made a fool's bargain. I want to tell you a story. It's a short story by Leo Tolstoy, the author of War and Peace. But this short story is called How Much Land Does a Man Need? It's about a Russian peasant farmer who dreamed of having a small piece of land of his own just to have a little garden to produce his own vegetables, and that's what he longed for. And finally, after some time, he was able to acquire that, and he was so happy. He had a a little plot, just a little garden, and he tended that carefully. He was so pleased. But children in the community ran through it, and Dogs and other animals walked on his plants and he became dissatisfied. He thought, oh, if I could have just a larger plot outside of the village, away from all of these problems, that would be great. And after a while, he was able to obtain that parcel of land and it was a considerably larger garden. You and I might not think of it as very big, but he did and he was so happy and he planted his vegetables and waited for them to grow and it was fine for a while, but the same problems and other problems and after a while, he was not pleased and he just, he wanted some more land, a larger parcel of land. And the traveling salesman came through his community. And they got talking and the salesman told him about a people some distance away called the Bashkirs. And he said, they have all kinds of land and they are willing to sell it. Now, it's a somewhat dangerous journey, but if you can make it and get there, they, they would sell you land. And he worked to that end. And finally, he had just about enough, and he sold everything else, and he got his money together, and he and his servant took this long journey, and they located the Bashkirs. And they were introduced to the chief, and They went through the formalities and the greetings and impatiently the guy finally asked the chief, what is the price of the land? And the chief said, our price is always the same. A thousand rubles a day. And the peasant farmer thought, 
what kind of price is that? And the chief explained, you may have all the land you can walk around in a day for a thousand rubles. The man thought, I can walk around a lot of land in a day. I can't believe my good fortune. So the next morning, he met the chief and some others from the village on a hillock, and here was this beautiful plain of land, well watered, and he just was amazed. And as the sun rose, he took his spade, and he set out, and he walked quite a little ways, and he thought, well, I I better mark this corner, and he dug a little hole with his spade to mark it and went on in the other direction, and he was just thrilled. He was energized by the prospect of this vast amount. Never in his wildest dreams could he have imagined owning such a piece of property. Well, he stopped for lunch, and he didn't lay down because he dare not fall asleep If he failed to return, he would forfeit not only the land that might have been his, but also the thousand rubles. That was the deal. So he ate his lunch and and rested a bit. And then he got up and continued on. And he was just about to mark another corner when he noticed this well-watered glade. It was just beautiful. He said, oh, I got to have that. And so he walked a little further and he marked another corner and and he looked back and (laughs) the chief and the others looked like ants. He didn't realize that he had gone so far. And so he began to hurry because the sun was going down now. He was a little bit concerned, but he thought, if I just keep a consistent, steady pace, uh, just push myself a bit, I'll be okay. And the sun continued to go down, and, and he's realizing, I'm not sure I'm going to be okay. He thought he might lose it all, and so he threw down his hat, and he took off his coat and anything else. He even took off his boots and anything else he could shed, and he just pushed himself and pushed himself, and finally he came to the bottom of that hillock. And the sun set. It was dark. And he could hear the chief just up above and the others calling to him and cheering him on. And he realized the sun hasn't set on the top of the hillock. And he charged up that hillock with all that he had. And he got up there and he lunged out for that hat and grabbed it just as the sun set. And the chief held his belly and laughed, and he's, oh, what a fine fellow. He has got much land today. And the peasant's servant walked up to him because the farmer was still not moving and realized that he was dead. And so he took up the spade and he dug a hole six feet from head to toe. Just the amount of land that a man needs 
if we get all the stuff we desire but fail to live for God, we've made a fool's bargain.